What's going on, folks? Back at it again with a 20th and Blake podcast, part of MileHighSports.com. And today we got guest Thomas Harding from MLB.com on the podcast. Been trying to work this out for a little while. And, you know, it just, it finally came together this week. Thomas, how are you doing? I feel good. I feel clean. And we've come together. That sounds good. Finally. So, Thomas, if you could just, I mean, I think a lot of people know about your work on Twitter, especially Rocky's Twitter. Um, but if you could just give a little rundown of, you know, how you got to where you're at right now and kind of how long you've been with the Rockies. Well, first of all, um, this is my 20th year covering the Rockies. Um, a few of those years, I guess, have involved Twitter. <laughs> I don't know exactly how I feel about that, but mm. hey, I love all of you on Twitter. How about that? Um, but before coming out here, I actually worked for the Colorado Springs Gazette for two seasons before um, going to MLB.com for the last 18. Before that, uh, I was in Memphis, and I was covering minor league baseball. I'm, I'm one of few reporters you would see here that has covered every level of the minors, rookie, A, double A, triple A, and the majors. But at the time, I was covering triple A, but also doing some coverage of the St. Louis Cardinals before coming out here. And so with that experience, I mean, you've, you've been in it through this newest shift of baseball, the shift of from, you know, the contact, the stealing, the Royals, what, five, six years ago, took the World Series kind of with that game plan. And now you're seeing it's two true outcomes. You're either striking out or homering most times. I mean, how has baseball shifted for you in the last decade? Well, first of all, to say that baseball has totally shifted is a bit of a misnomer. I mean, I grew up, and the first uh, minor league team I covered was actually a rookie farm club of the Baltimore Orioles. And if you go back to the 70s and 80s, Earl Weaver believed in the get a, get two guys on base and hit a three-run homer. I mean, these this hasn't exactly been a change. I think that there is more groupthink, and, and I think this is what you're getting at. There was a time when running, dropping the sacrifice bunt, a few things like that, small ball, a lot of teams thought the same way. Then the analytics came in and they said, gee, this groupthink is all wrong. And what's happened is there's just a new level of groupthink. And what's going to happen is teams are going to see the weaknesses in this particular brand of baseball and figure that out. And I think, um, that, for example, <coughs> the shifting, the positional shifting on the infield. You are, you are seeing some of the better players find ways to exploit that. You're also seeing some of the, um, some of the more common, not, not the great players, exploit it. If you look at a Tony Walters this year, for example, uh, the, the way that he's gotten so many opposite field hits in the face of people shifting against him. Uh, when I look at what his performance is this year, I go back to when the Rockies and a bunch of other teams all jumped on the shifting bandwagon. And they said, people always shifted in the past on Ted Williams, guys who hit home runs. But what the data was saying was that a lot of the smaller hitters, the people who don't have power, they tended to pull the ball. And that's what's got the shifting revolution going. As more and more hitters who don't hit home runs figure out ways to go the opposite way, that's going to quell some of this right now. So it's all kind of part of a continuum. And, yeah, you do have big shifts like what happened when the analytics got involved and it was kind of the craze. But at some point, the game kind of oozes up out of that. Mm. You know, you, you, no matter how many calculators you have, you can improve your thinking. 
but the game always comes back to to make an adjustment. And you brought up Tony Walters. He's been kind of one of the bigger surprises for the Rockies this year. I think coming into the year, their catching situation was, I don't want to say it was red flag, but it was it was it was questionable. No one quite knew maybe what it was going to look like. And Tony Walters really stepped up. Has he been? Would you say the biggest surprise for you? What has been the biggest surprise of the Rockies season? Obviously. The record isn't, you know, is kind of surprising. But what is what has been the biggest surprise for you this year? Well, for me, there there are a few things. Yeah, Tony Walters. I guess you could. That is a bit of a surprise. What I thought was that they were going to be like most teams, two catchers essentially splitting it. And it's probably by the end of the season, Tony Walters will have had more playing time than I thought the main catcher for the Rockies would have had. So mm-hmm. I will put that as a surprise. There are some things about the hitting that are a surprise, things about the hitting that aren't. But let's let's go to the surprises. Uh, first of all, you didn't expect Kyle Freeland to take a big step back. It was a huge step back. And then the injury hit. Um, I did not expect, because you never go into a season expecting all of your starters to get hurt. Um, you know, all five of the starters who were on the opening day roster, they're, are on, the, yeah, they're on the injury list right now. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> um, Chad Bettis ended up a bullpen piece, which we thought uh, could happen with the development of mm-hmm. Antonio Senzatella. I think losing all those guys, but also having none of the depth come through. If you go back to the 2017 season when they went to the playoffs, they really had a bunch of rookies, second-year, third-year guys, but what they did, out of about seven, eight pitchers, they kind of divided up the year, gave guys rest because they were young. Last season, basically, I think last season was very much almost an aberration because the staff stayed healthy throughout the whole year. You expect some injuries. You don't expect all of the injuries. But what you should have been able to expect was, say, an Antonio Sensatella step up and have a big year. He had some good games, but the inconsistency was really dramatic. Jeff Hoffman um, right now is starting to at least show that, yeah, there's a big league pitcher in there, but for much of the season, he did not. So I don't think there was ever enough depth to withstand this number of injuries. But the depth that they had did not perform to the level that I thought it would. And that starting rotation, I think Antonio Sensatella never truly finding his form. I think Tyler Anderson getting hurt. And then I think John Gray getting hurt, even in the midst of a rebound year. It's all kind of culminated into basically a picture of the season. I think the rotation, if you look at it, tells the entire tale of the season. They're, when they've been good, the Rockies have been good. When they've been bad... Outside of, of course, the first part of the year when they couldn't hit, but when the rotation's been bad, the Rockies have been bad. And so they're four wins shy of pass, surpassing the t- 2000 and, gosh, can't remember the year, but they're, two, they're four wins shy of uh, 2005 of bypassing that year for their worst year as y- in your era of coverage as far as since you started covering the team. Is this, would you say, the most disappointing team that you've had to cover, um, just based on the expectations coming in? No, 2008. Team 2008. that didn't make the playoffs. Um, now, and, and one of the things is, if, if you really look at the season as a whole, everything you said is dead on, dead on mm. correct. But then I think what you have to do, whether you're us in the media or whether you're the Colorado Rockies themselves, is you have to really dissect this season 
And I'm looking at two different seasons here. And the, the, the marker for the end of the season that they were attempting to compete for the playoffs was the day that uh, Tim Melville started in Arizona. Because that was the day they announced John Gray was gone for the season. And if you and if you could just look at whether it's the lineup, whether it's the bullpen, whether it's the rotation, it went from trying to find a way to get back into a race mm -hmm. to a trial camp for next year. Mm -hmm. So at that point, um, August 16th was John Gray's last start for the Rockies. I'm going to say that was the end of the competitive season. So everything that's happened after that is a preparation for another year so I'm not saying that I throw it out and the record is going to be what the record is going to be but you, but when I look at it I'm looking at before then and then after then so before then yeah a lot of disappointment a lot of struggles um, from the rotation but also a very poor start to the season for Nolan Arenado and Charlie Blackman offensively first uh, what was it they were three and 13 was it uh, three and twelve. That was yeah, the start. Three and yeah. twelve. Both Blackman and Arenado really struggled. Then, and within that period, actually, D Daniel Murphy they brought in to make a difference to the offense got hurt, and he ended up missing a bunch of games most of the month of April. So you had that happen. Then everything kind of came together, and they pitched really well. Not only did they pitch well as starters, but they pitched well in the bullpen, mm -hmm. and they got to six games above five hundred. Then you look at, okay, what really happened to this team? They wore out during some homestands in June and July where I think they were 8-12 and 12 and the average score was almost 9 for their opponents and almost 7.5 for the Rockies. So Unsustainable. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's not sustainable. Certainly if you have those, you need to win some of those games. Mm -hmm. And not only did the starting rotation fail during that point, but then the bullpen struggled. Um, you go back to last year, in fact. Remember when they struggled in June mm -hmm. and the starting rotation had really bad numbers? The bullpen was bad then, too. So they both go hand-in-hand hand here. I think that's what, going back and looking at it, it's a disappointment because you thought, hey, they developed a homegrown rotation, developed a little bit of depth. They should be okay, and you should be able to find pitchers to get you to the end of the game, and none of that happened. With this second season that you're talking about, once Melville came in, all these different lineup changes, which, which ones do you think are most are most likely to stick for next year as far as Story hitting leadoff, maybe Blackman hitting cleanup? Which one of those lineup tweaks do you think could actually stick in the next season after what you've seen? I could see Story going into the year as a leadoff guy. I could see that. Um, what I'm probably expecting to see is rather than a permanent tweak, my druthers are probably you'll see what you what you're seeing now is that the lineup will be a little bit more flexible. Mm -hmm. um, as long as you're not putting Nolan Arenado second, which they experimented with in spring training, and he really struggled with it. But I think all the other guys, it seems that Charlie Blackman is a movable piece in the lineup. Daniel Murphy, one of the reasons he's here is that he's a movable piece in the lineup. Um, Trevor Story. Right now, I, I, he did take a little bit of a step back when he first went to leadoff, but now that he's settled in there, he looks like he's developing an approach that will keep him um, okay wherever he goes. And another key to this, and this is before the John Gray injury, but what pushed us toward this trial camp, David Dahl getting hurt on August 2nd. 
David Dahl was making a huge difference in this lineup. Uh, they were still struggling as a team because of the things I talked about, but Dahl was on his way to a huge finish, much like the one he had last season. And I would like to see if he can stay healthy. And it's funny because when you look at Dahl and you add up the injuries, I don't know that there's a chronic injury in there. There are some really unlucky injuries. Well, I think the I think the good part when you look at his injuries is there's not a ton of soft tissue stuff. It's more of, you know, these types of the fracture that he had in his foot. Now he has the high ankle sprain. That can happen to anyone. I think it'd be more concerning if, say, he was getting calf strains constantly, he was pulling his hamstring constantly, the groin. I think, personally, that would be a little more concerning. But the injury pass he has... I think it's been a lot of luck-based. Yeah, mostly luck-based. There was a uh, there was a, a, a midsection injury earlier this year, but actually that was pretty minor, and the only reason he went on the 10-day DL was that they didn't want to be short on the roster. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he's had a lot of unlucky things. I mean, you can't say there's anything in his training program, in his approach to the game, that that uh, creates the problem when you crash with a teammate in the minors mm-hmm. and you have your spleen exactly. taken out. Or when you turn, or, or when you're running for for a play, and you're and you hit a bad spot in the outfield, or you hit it wrong, and and, and you twist up, or you foul a ball off your foot. There is nothing you can do to prevent that type of thing. I mean, you know, he eats well, he works out, um, he he was able to put on a little bit of weight, which he had very little of coming up. I mean, this guy to me is kind of the next. Story Blackman Arenado type mm-hmm. of guy, and I think that um, also just mentally and personality wise, if he blew up and became a big star, he can handle that. And those are things that those are those are other things you look for. This guy has a lot of intangibles as a winning ball player. So going forward, if you if you would join David Dahl, if he reaches that level that you talk about, I know a lot of other people kind of share that sentiment. If he joins alongside Trevor Story, Nolan, Charlie. And they kind of get the offense rolling in the future. Is the starting rotation next year and years forward, is that the only question mark you see left? Well, even if they don't get the offense going, the starting rotation mm-hmm. is, is, the, is the key here. Because if you look at the two years they went to the playoffs, and maybe we can get to this in a bit, because I think there is a – I'm looking for a certain mentality out of the people that make the decisions because there's a fan and media mentality about this team that while justified, if the Rockies themselves fall into it, mm. they're toast. But anyhow, I'm getting back to it. Offensively, they show up most years because uh, under the um, advanced analytics, the weighted runs create a plus, which is a big figure in baseball, but really does not is not kind to of the Rockies at all. They always show up as a middle-of-the-road to below-average offensive team. Why did they go to the playoffs for two seasons? It was the pitching. They've got to get the pitching back. So with all these young guys, I mean, you could. I think it's fair to anticipate that Freeland should bounce back a bit. I don't know if he'll ever get back to that 2.85 ERA, this, you know, outstanding season that he had. But I think it's reasonable to think that he'll bounce back and settle somewhere in the middle. I think John Gray replicating the season he just had is not out of the question either. If you're able to put those two... Herman Marquez comes back and performs admirably. Do you feel like maybe a, a veteran, you know, there's tons of veterans available this year. You have, you know, the Rick Porcellos, the Jake Odorizzi's. You have guys that could possibly be had. Do you see the Rockies making a move like that? Or do you, do you think they stand pat again? 
Um, I think when it comes to that veteran pitcher that you look at, their payroll may not allow them to do much, but when I look at pitchers that could come in here and win, um, if you want that pitcher at the front of your rotation, and you, or, and you start looking at the characteristics that may work at Coors Field, you're talking the superstars of the game here. Mm-hmm. I don't know that their payroll can handle the superstar of the game. Some of the guys you mentioned, um, here's the question. When you, when you go after them in free agency, and I think that the price was set by Hampton and Nagel oh so many years ago. Mm-hmm. The reason Rockies got them was they paid an extra year at top dollar more than anybody else would pay. Of the uh, of, of the guys you mentioned, I like Jake Odorizzi. Does he does his stuff play at Coors Field? I'd really have to study it. I, I think it would. Um, but what would he cost you? Um, they have some situations where they're paying some relievers a, a pretty good contract, uh, and I don't know. And they're, and they're not getting the best out of them. I think that they could spend some money to improve the offense. Um, you know, the, the bullpen, there are a lot of young guys, but either they're going to spend money on the bullpen or make some trades or find a way to get another veteran arm in here. And then I start seeing them run out of money here. Now, I'll go to what you said, to your question. Do they add a veteran or do they stand pat? A few years ago, I was talking to the agent Scott Boris, actually. And he was saying that the problem with the Rockies is... When you go with your young, homegrown rotation, it is nice to have a veteran who's been around, who's been in the playoffs, and done some things like that to where if somebody is struggling, at least every five days, you're giving it to someone who's done this before. A stopper. Yeah. Well, not even, not even a stopper. Um, because, like I say, stoppers are, I put a high price on stoppers, but stoppers are, you know, some of the best guys in the game. But just someone who maybe has competed in a playoff before you, um, mm. pitched on a World Series team. That, that, that can help set your rotation. Now, what happened the last two years, not this year, but what happened the last two years was it turned out that their own young guys that they train pitch better at this park. You could have brought in that other guy, and you don't know what he would do here. Mm-hmm. They, they looked at what they had, and their guys got the job done. But right now, this is kind of getting back to that conversation I did have with Scott Boris. Things were falling apart, and there was not the veteran to go to. So the question is, can you find a veteran to go to that you can find guys who've been around and guys who pitch in World Series and guys who, who have long careers, but can that guy pitch here? Um, I do think they owe it to themselves to look for that guy, but like I say, looking at their payroll, looking at um, some of the other issues that they have, it may be hard to do. And that payroll is one of the biggest things because their payroll settled around 156, 156 million this year. They're on the hook for 120 million in payroll last year, not including Dahl in arbitration, Story in arbitration, Gray in arbitration, Freeland, Oberg. There's all these guys that are going to get arbitration figures, and they're not even included in that 120 million. So conceivably, they might go up. 10 to 15 million in payroll without adding a single person. Right. How much of a, I mean, are they going to be able to trade one of those veteran relievers that you talk about that are accounting for such a large portion? I mean, is what is there a single move you think that they could make that could allow them to make a splash move in free agency possibly? 
Yeah, I don't know, and I haven't um, exactly studied the free agent list exactly how you would do that. Um, but I think if you would, uh, as far you know, as far as position players are concerned, they did plan on going up on payroll next year. So it's not like uh, there was a crisis this year. Had there yeah. been a crisis, there would have been a bunch of moves of the deadline to rid themselves of mm -hmm. payroll right now. Um, but they, they they really don't have that situation. I do think that a reliever could be moved in offseason as part of a package deal. You would like that that whatever you get back to be smart and it would help your immediate depth and your immediate roster. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to pay close attention to this team. I mean, you know, can they upgrade in the outfield? Or do you go with, uh, you know David Dahl is back, do you go with Charlie Blackman in right field? Do you look at a platoon type where actually Ramel Tapia moves ahead of Ian Desmond and plays most of the games out there. It looks like that's the way the roster sets up right now. Or can you trade off that group of guys and maybe upgrade a bit in the outfield, um, in, in, like in left field, and have Desmond become that veteran bench player that Bud Black has always wanted. So there are a lot of ways to do this. Um, and I think that there is money to be there. There is not money to say, let's say that... Um, I don't know, Justin Verlander voided the rest of his contract. There's not money for that. Well, and that's what I'm and that's what I'm looking at is when you look at the notable free agent pitchers, Strasburg, Strasburg likely opts out of his deal, but that's not in the realm of possibility. Garrett Cole's a free agent. That's not really in the realm of possibility either. Even a Hinjun Ryu is probably not in the realm of possibility for the Rockies. So you kind of almost have to go bargain bin. And then on the offensive side, it's a similar story. You have the J.D. Martinez, but then the rest of the key free agents, it seems, are third basemen. I mean, you have the Anthony Rendones, you have the Justin Turners, you have guys that, that don't help you. You already have Nolan Arenado. So as far as hitting, it seems like they might be a little out of luck. And on the pitching side, they either have to go bargain bin shopping and hope a guy plays out here, or just stand pat because I, I don't see a single way that they could get a Strasburg or a Garrett Cole to come to a place like this. Well, I think when you say stand pat, I don't think you actually stand pat. What you try to do is figure out what the heck has gone on this year and fix that. Um, that's Right now, that's, the, the, that's a pretty logical conclusion. Um, maybe through a trade, someone could follow your way. Um, it would be nice to... Let's say, uh, let, let, let's look at um, first base. Does Daniel Murphy come back a better defensive player and a healthier player? Because there was a time, I think it was in July and August, where he was a well above 300 hitter. Oh, yeah. Once he started to finally calibrate, and it happened, in my eyes, during that Pittsburgh series when they were in Pittsburgh. He finally started to not be late on pitches and start driving towards the gaps. And that's when it seemed like it finally flipped. Yeah, there was the, but the power never really arrived. And then you look at August when the team was falling out of the race and he really took a nosedive here. Can he come back a better player? Or do you maybe even try to move him in the uh, other, what, $12 million he is owed, I mm -hmm. think it is? or I think it may be more than that. Um, can, can you move him and get someone in here to play first base? But, hey, last year they were looking for a first baseman, and Murphy was the best that they could really find because there are a lot of guys who were hitters but more like designated hitters. Mm -hmm. So they would have to be creative to significantly change this roster. Um, for me, when you look at it, I want to get to the mentality of this ball club. Um, they... 
went to the playoffs for two straight years, okay? They had a bunch of people hurt. Some guys early in their careers fall back. A lot of times, guys who get hurt and guys who have a bad year early in their career, they bounce back to who they were. Um, Kyle Freeland, when I look at him, the velocity he throws with, the plan that he throws with, I don't see a reason that last year was a total aberration. Mm -hmm. But I think when you look at this team from the outside, because most people, when they look at the Rockies organization, they don't look at, okay, this group of guys in this window. They look at this entire history where they've lost a lot of games. Mm -hmm. If the Rockies are thinking that way, if Jeff Breidich or whoever is in the organization, if they're thinking, oh, my God, we've fallen back to what we were, everybody that thinks that needs to be fired right now. Yeah. Okay. What they are is they are in, they 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 are in a, a competitive window that they took a step back in, be, and and if they don't think that, then they need not be here. So they took a step back, partly injury, partly younger pitchers not performing well. Okay, offensively the numbers are going to settle almost exactly where they were last year. Yeah, they mm -hmm. lost DJ Lemayu, but when you when you look at the improvements that uh, David Dahl made for a longer period of time, Trevor Story, it's the same offense as last year. DJ's departure did not hurt them offensively, actually. So what you got to do is you got to get your pitching back. Now, do you do you go out and risk it and maybe make a trade or come up with, with someone who can pitch here? That may be worth trying. So you kind of touched on a little bit, but kind of as a final thought, if they were to bring back the exact same roster that they had this year, but healthy, you would have the full rotation, you'd have Bettis in the bullpen, you'd have maybe a Lambert in his stead, you'd have maybe Tyler Anderson back in the... I don't... It's looking like he won't be healthy for the beginning of next year, but if you were to have all of that, do you feel like this team could get back to where they were the last two years, or do you think that that would, that would be selling them a little too high? Well... I think you you do need, and this is this is where I think that it, there's a lot of onus on the general manager Jeff Breidich, the owner Dick Monfort here, in that I don't think you can bring back the same team, even though theoretically you get those guys back, they pitch the way they pitched, you're a contender. That, I think if this is the exact same team this year, if they had pitched the way that they pitched last year, this team's a contender. I don't think you can do that because... It's not just the fans, but in that clubhouse, after winning, after getting a taste of winning, you've got a bit of a hunger, a bit of a disappointment, and you would hate for those guys to show up believing that their owners and their GM are not doing anything. So they do have a they do have a selling job. The management of this team has a selling job to its own players. Um, but the, so so the question is, can they do something creative enough to improve this team? And also keep that morale going, and that and, and, and that's a question we'll be watching this offseason because they're going to have to be creative. They can't just spend a bunch of money because it seems like, as you as you mentioned, the hitters that you can spend the money on, do they fit? Unless you spend it on JD Martinez, and at that point, does it? You know, at some point, it does get to be too much. You've got Trevor Story. I, I think that there would be, it would make a lot of sense to me to try to do it with Trevor what you did with Nolan and sign him for a period of time, even if it isn't as long a contract. Well, thanks, Thomas, for coming on. Enjoy, Always enjoy talking to you about baseball. You're kind of the rational mind in the press box. I think every now and then 
even people who see it every day, it's, you know, you can kind of get carried and swayed with each game. You seem to be kind of that rational force. So thanks for coming on for us. And be sure to tune into our next Mile High Sports podcast, 20th and Blake, next Sunday. And uh, be sure to go on, rate, subscribe, comment, whatever you, whatever you need to do to give us some feedback. Any final thoughts, Thomas? You called me rational. <laughs> okay, when it comes to baseball, how about that? Yeah, thanks for having me, and uh, good luck to you, man. You're doing an outstanding job. All right, thanks, Thomas.